Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 165, and it's 11th of September, 2021. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Pretty good. Um, like I feel like there have been quite a few cool announcements recently, which we're going to talk about, so that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, I don't want to spoil what they are, right, the head of the show, because we're obviously <laughs> going to go into more detail about them very shortly. Um, one thing I did want us to do briefly, because several people have asked us about it, is um, we were asked to talk about Annette, which is the new Leo Carra film, whose name I just butchered, apologies, <laughs> um, starring Adam Driver. Um, and yeah, this is nothing to do with Star Wars, basically, apart from the fact that they both happen to feature Adam Driver. But because several people wanted it, I wanted to oblige. Um, yeah, so could you just share your overall impressions of Annette, Kirsty? I know you watched it a little while ago now. It's only just come out in the UK, so I watched it more recently. Yeah, I, I don't know how I was supposed to feel about it, <laughs> but I thought it was really funny. <laughs> like, I was laughing throughout. Sure. Because <laughs> it is... Obviously, it's weird and surreal. Um, I love the use of the puppet for their baby. Yes. Um, but it's just very strange. But yeah. great performances, you know. Yeah, very much so. It's very, very, very peculiar. Um, I have seen some of the directors of her films. Um, like, I really liked Lovers on the Bridge, which is an early film he made in the early 90s. Uh, that's really great. I recommend that. And I've also seen Holy Motors, which is perhaps his most favourite, his most famous film. And I really did not like Holy Motors. <laughs> um, so I've had like the range of experiences of the director's work. And I'd say like Annette falls somewhere between the two for me. I didn't fall in love with it like I wanted to, but I also didn't hate it. You know, like I had a good enough time while watching it and I was entertained. Um, and I think a big part of that is because of the performances. I thought Adam and Marion were really, really good. Um, and yeah, the puppet was actually surprisingly endearing. I don't know if you felt that way too, Kirsty, but you know, the scenes like where the puppet baby is like looking sad. And I genuinely felt empathy for that puppet baby. I felt oh, more yeah. empathy for the puppet than the humans. It was really well done. And I, in a way, I, well, maybe we're supposed to feel that way. Yeah. Like, I think it might but, at least be partially intentional, 100%. Yeah, I thought that was really impressive work. Honestly, you know, I'm kind of mixed on the movie. I'm, I'm saying that, but I did really enjoy it. It's just, it, it's not my favourite Adam Driver movie. Sure. Um, but I would recommend that people give it a shot. Like, it's it's different. So, you know, I'm always going to recommend that people watch movies where the director clearly had a vision and went with it and didn't kind of compromise on various things it's just it is what it is yeah no it's very uncompromising and it's definitely trying for something very different and original which is always good and i did also like the the music um which oh, is yeah. by sparks um and yeah it's obviously, obviously no one in the cast is like a professional singer as such but i think they all did a really good job considering and they brought a lot of like emotion feel into it so yeah, it's not a traditional musical, so don't go in like expecting Phantom of the Opera or Lemmy's or anything like that. But um, yeah, for like what it is, like a rock opera style musical about a really messed up couple and their puppet baby. Like, I, I think you can have a good time as long as you go into it with the right terms. So yeah, check out Annette. Like if you're in America, <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime, but no extra cost. So... There you go. What's stopping you? And yeah, that just, that's also just to, to contextualise Kirsty's comment about I'm um, laughing throughout because 
if that had happened in a cinema, people might not have smiled on that. <laughs> I watched it in a cinema with a rather like fusty audience, and I'm just trying to imagine how they would have responded if I was just cackling throughout the whole thing. <laughs> I'm sure people are having very different reactions to it. Yeah. Because there are obviously some intense emotional moments, but just overall, I just I thought it was a hoot. You know. Yeah. So. No, which is great, and I'm sure if you told Leo that, he would be happy you enjoyed it. So. Yeah, and I think that's great. Um, okay, but let's move into what I imagine most people are here to listen to, which is Star Wars things. So here's our latest dose of Star Wars things. Uh, yeah, so the first thing we want to talk about happened a while ago now, but there was just a lot of stuff happening, mainly in my life, I think, that prevented us from <laughs> recording for a few weeks. You you sound very mysterious when you allude to all of these exciting <laughs> things going on in your life. I do. I make it sound like I'm a spy or something, don't I? It's, honestly, it's not that exciting. Um, it's just it was stuff that kept me busy. Um, but, oh, God, I'm doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> I get why you don't want, you want to keep things private. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. Um, but yeah, the first thing we want to talk about is Disney Gallery making of The Mandalorian Season 2. Um, and this was basically a documentary that was shown on Disney Plus, I think, in the last week of August. And it mainly focused on that finale of the Season 2 of The Mandalorian, particularly how they brought Luke back and the special effects work that went into that. Um, and yeah, this is something we were both anticipating with nervous trepidation, I guess, <laughs> because... We, we we both enjoy The Mandalorian, but we've had quite mixed feelings about that finale and the choices that were made. So yeah, mm. I was wondering, how did you feel about this documentary, Kirsty, and the insights it brought to that finale? I really enjoyed the documentary, and I always enjoyed Star Wars behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, it's a, it's a brilliant part of being a Star Wars fan to enjoy all this stuff, potentially as much as the movies themselves. Um, so as you said we have mixed feelings on luke being in this episode himself but like in terms of hearing people talk about why they made those choices and how they made them i find that fascinating even if i don't agree with everything that they're saying so really enjoyed it and highly recommend it to people even if you didn't love that choice like us um still worth a watch yeah no 100 percent. i thought it was like a really worthwhile watch and it made me want to watch more of the Disney Gallery making of Mandalorian episodes. Oh, you should, yeah. yeah. Because I, I don't maybe skip I'm... the Gina parts. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, because I just really enjoyed like seeing all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like Kirsty, that's always something I find fascinating. And yeah, it was interesting to see that they took such a multi-pronged approach to bring in Luke back for the episode. So it wasn't like they chose one type of thing. You know, they had a body double they had mark there they had this um oh god what's the name of the technology they used to replace the faces kirsty um can you well remember? they were talking about using deep fake technology yes. but that wasn't what they actually ended up going for right? right yeah that was like one of the things they were trying yeah no and i think that's um what i was poorly attempting to articulate the fact that they were considering all the different ways they could go about bringing luke back but then each mm. one has all these implications you know, and there's like a kind of moral aspect as well, you know, towards what can we do and what should we do, <laughs> sort mm. of. Um, and I was pleased to see them grapple with those questions, at least. Um, I, I think sometimes some of the comments they made, they kind of suggested that they thought they'd successfully avoided certain traps in <laughs> how they'd brought Luke back, you know, in terms of making it convincing. 
but in my opinion they kind of had fallen into those traps I don't know I feel like I'm being a bit unkind but no it's interesting I was in a good yeah I was in a good mood while I was watching it but that is how I felt too so I was like kind of laughing and again (laughs) in a like in a good nature way it was just like oh I feel the opposite of what you're saying but I get that you feel that way and you're proud of your work and that's great yes um so I actually wrote down some of the examples like while I was watching it because I was like some of the quotes just seemed so funny to me because I feel so differently. Um, like Dave Filoni said, if there's one person in the galaxy you'd be okay with taking this kid from the Mandalorian, it's got to be Luke. And I was like, post sequel trilogy? Are you really supposed to feel that way? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. But it was a, it was a good confirmation to me of how they wanted us to feel about the episode because I think I've said before I wasn't sure like what the overall feeling it was supposed to evoke in you like whether you were supposed to be happy and like excited that Grogu was going with Luke or whether we were as I felt kind of uh, what is going to happen here because we're seeing Luke here at the height of his hubris is the idea here that he's making a mistake mm. like is this is this him setting down that path that eventually leads to what we know happens just before the sequel trilogy? So it was very interesting to hear Dave Filoni talk like that because I was like, I felt so differently. But that was a choice you guys made to for a positive effect that, oh, of course it would be hero Luke Skywalker. Yeah. You know? And I think, yeah, if anything disappointed me about the episode, it was that, like, if that was, you know, part of the intent, you know, like potentially like suggesting oh what's going to happen here you know because we have further context for what Luke becomes in a few years from the sequels um like I was kind of a bit disappointed that there wasn't any acknowledgement of that like interpretation you know like and that's mm. not to say that that might not become a factor in the storytelling going forward but yeah it wasn't there in the documentary but to be fair to the documentary I had the vibe it was very much just trying to be like a jolly like heartwarming type of affair you know, it wasn't trying to like seriously inspect like the narrative implications of the choices they were making. It really was right. for the most part like, oh, isn't it great to see Marcus Luke again? And um, don't we have all this cool technology that we can use to achieve this? This is awesome. Um, because yeah, like another thing I noted about it is how like, and again, it was advertised as this. So it wasn't surprising. It wasn't like they were lying to people about what the episode was going to involve. But it's like a 50 minute episode, say. And 40 of those minutes are about Luke and Mark and 10 minutes. So maybe like about the other aspects of the episode, maybe even less than 10 minutes. I was going to say, I think you're being overly generous. There. <laughs> I think it's even less than that. Yeah. And again, like I don't want to be negative, you know, because I did enjoy the episode and I thought it was a good making of. But it just kind of underlines that thing where how interested are the people who are making the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian himself? You know, mm. like you, you do sometimes get, well, more than sometimes, to be honest, I get the vibe that they are much more interested in those OT callbacks and like having Luke back and stuff. And when stuff like this comes out and the focus is so heavily skewed towards Luke, it only solidifies that impression, I think is safe to say. I'm really hoping that what they're doing is actually just kind of being coy about where they're going with Din himself. Sure. Yeah. So like they don't want to spoil that story for season three or wherever, you know, wherever it's going to go. Um, and obviously season two, they were heavy on these cameos from other existing characters like Ahsoka and Luke and everyone. So that's like an easy thing to focus on. It's like the big thing in the middle. And then, I don't know, and they're saving the more interesting stuff for later. But um tying in here there was a quote from Peyton Reed who directed this episode 
um, who said, it's very easy to see a version of this where you bring Luke into the Mandalorian and it completely usurps all the drama. And I just thought that was such a fascinating quote because he was obviously under the impression that that was something that they could have gone with but then avoided. And to me, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, no, very much. I think Luke did absolutely overpower the whole episode. Cause, yeah, the what... fact that he is what people remember from the final episode. Yeah. Like, you know? I think if you went up to, like, if you got, like, a group of people in a room who'd all seen that season finale of The Mandalorian and asked them what they remembered about it, all of them would say Luke. You know, very few people could tell you the plot points that are present for the rest of the episode, <laughs> you know. It's a shame because I do think that there were certain things that they were setting up in that episode, and I do believe they'll follow through on them because they were obviously important for characters like Bo-Katan and Din for the next season. But all of that stuff about their kind of dynamic shifting um, with Gideon and stuff, that was so compelling. I remember, I haven't watched it for a while, but I remember watching the episode and really loving all of the stuff they were setting up there. I was like, finally, we're getting somewhere really interesting with the main characters here. And then the stuff with Luke happened. And to me, it felt like what Peyton Reed was describing as what they had managed to avoid. So I just find that really interesting. Yeah. Um, and again, no hard feelings. Like, I'm not upset about it. It's just, it's quite interesting to me as a fan who feels so differently about this episode from so many other fans and the creators. Yeah, no, 100%. And in a way, it's quite nice because I can see that it's coming from such like a genuine, heartfelt place of like love and passion, you know, yeah. and they're all so excited and happy to be doing what they're doing. And, and that's awesome. You know, like I never want to like take away anyone else's happiness. And like, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't get like a spark when I saw Luke, you know, it's not like I saw Luke and my heart sank, you know, it was exciting when that happened. Um, mm. But yeah, I just, <laughs> I just have Sorry. like, no, don't worry, it's fine. I just have more like generalized concerns about what that means and what message it's sending by making that choice to bring him back. And again, I feel like Filoni and Favreau, like they were aware of all those concerns in their opinion they circumvented them in my opinion and probably your opinion Kirsty I don't think they did but that's okay because at least we still like enjoy it on a certain level and it's always fascinating to find out how these things are made and the intent behind them so yeah I'm really glad they put this episode out there yeah and at the end of the day I do get the impression that we're in the minority sure in the fandom in our opinion and most people loved it and it's made them really happy so you know that that's great I'm not I definitely would never resent that yeah um yeah there were some interesting things i almost felt like with all the talk around the deep fake stuff because obviously that's something that they didn't end up going with but they were obviously like experimenting with it pretty early on they were making a point of how at that point when like before the episode had come out the technology just wasn't at the point where they felt like it was to a high enough standard um, for what they wanted to to do with the story but i almost felt like they were making a point of highlighting that because obviously we know that the fans have been doing deep fake versions and i think someone's even been hired by lucasfilm since yes. for their deep fake skills with this episode yeah. and it just it had a self-conscious aspect to it for me i don't know if if anyone else picked up on that yeah that's no, a good point that wasn't really present in my mind but now you say that i can definitely see that as something that i factored into the choices about the narrative they were telling with that documentary because yeah. at the end of the day obviously the documentary is inferior it's factual you know it's telling what actually happened but everything is very 
deliberate choice in the context of a documentary. They only show you what they really want to communicate to you. And yeah, they they did have like a proper little aside talking about deep fakes and um their like thought ma- um decision making process, which yeah, it can be read as a bit of like apologism perhaps for why they didn't go down that route initially. Another interesting thing about the deep fakes was that they kept showing all of these images that they had of Mark and Luke in the archives and stuff. Yeah. And they would obviously have been feeding all of these early images in um, to get, you know, this composite or however it works. But a lot of them seem to be, and I don't know if the ones that they were showing us were the ones that they'd actually been using, but I assume that they were. Otherwise, why would you choose those ones? They were all like pre-Mark's accident, Mm. where his face looks quite different. Yeah. And they were even commenting on the fact that Luke's face changes a lot. And I'm like, well, there's a reason for that, that you didn't go there and explicitly point it out. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, so it is a weird choice. Because really, they should have focused squarely on photos from after the accident, shouldn't they? But um, yeah, I don't quite get that. But I'm sure they had their reasons. Maybe they just really like pretty boy Luke from the original Star Wars. I don't know. <laughs> And, and they were also talking about his voice and how it wasn't really Mark's voice. It was that, you know, again, they'd been feeding in all the content that they already had to kind of give a computer an impression of what Mark Hamill's voice as Luke sounds like yes. at that age. Um, which I, I had to assume that that's what they were doing because, of course, when he voiced Forces of Destiny, it was Mark in his current age. And you could tell. <laughs> you could definitely he didn't tell, sound like young Luke. So I'm glad that they didn't go down that same route for the Mandalorian, at least. Yeah. Now, I think that part left me a really, like, complicated feelings, to be honest, the the whole voice thing. And I guess it's because I wasn't sure how they'd done it. Like, I knew with the appearance, it was obviously computer generated, you know, like they don't have like a Mark Hamill double stowed away in a cupboard somewhere that they can just bring out who looks like him. It also had that like waxy CGI look. So I knew what that was. But with the voice, it just sounded like young Mark Hamill you know and it didn't sound fake in the way that he looked fake to a certain extent and that kind of disconcerted me a little you know that the technology is so good that it can emulate his young sounding voice so act so well that Mm. you you have no idea how it's done until you're told Um, because yeah I think that is a signal for where we're going with these sorts of things in the future and I'm not sure I love that To be fair, he doesn't talk very much in this episode. That's true, yeah. <laughs> if it had been a starring role, it might have been more obvious. Yeah, and like watching the episode again, it was really cool and interesting to see how it was done. But it did further underline for me that if they do want to bring back the original trilogy heroes in any like more substantial way, oh God, I, I would be really like unnerved and not happy if they decided to like deep fake them or CGI them, you know, for like a long no, format just thing. Recast. Exactly, and... I, I just feel it's so bland and boring, you know, to rely on, like, what computer animators and, like, AI think those actors would perform like, you know? Like, I think that creates such, like, stiff, soulless performances when mm. if you can give the roles to, like, new actors, and obviously there should be some level of resemblance and stuff, but, you know, just let new people have a shot of those roles and bring, like, vibrancy and life to them. It's so much more interesting. It is. It's, it's fun. And these are characters that are pretty archetypal like you don't have to worry about them being the exact you you have a different take on a character you know like Alden did for Solo yeah I wonder if they have Solo in the back of their mind and maybe attribute that film's problems at the box office to the issue of the recast with like Alden and and Glover like I just 
it's that's so not the reason you know they yeah. did great jobs exactly so yeah it's a shame if they like have um dismissed recasting as an option because of that i don't know but you could easily find another person to play luke skywalker come on yeah no exactly it's yeah like and i i do unfortunately think that is at the back of their minds you know solo and i wish it weren't you know because like, you're exactly right kirsty it's nothing to do with those performances they were not why that movie underperformed at the box office like they did a great job and yeah it's just not fair to look at that and isolate the blame on that is the reason but yeah we'll see and again like i don't know 100 percent for sure that that's in their minds i just get that vibe basically so yeah mm. now i sound conspiratorial i mean it might also be that mark is just more willing to be involved whereas harrison was like well i'm happy to meet alden and give him advice but probably doesn't I guess he's doing Indiana Jones, and maybe they're doing some de-aging there as well. I don't know. Yeah, I think they definitely are. Um, So yeah, I'm curious to see how that works. I just uh. don't fully understand the appeal of de-aging actors, honestly. Mm, Yeah, it doesn't really do anything for me, I must say. Even The Irishman, you know, I like that movie. I I think it's a great movie, but I just don't think the de-aging stuff is necessary. No, I I think the Irishman would have honestly been better if they just found young actors to play them when they were young and then had like De Niro and Pacino and everyone play the older versions of the characters, you know, like like, like in the olden days. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what people have done forever. Just because we have the technology now, it doesn't mean you need to do it. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily create a better piece of art. Yes. (laughs) And I really hope that lesson hits home in a big way at some point, but it might take a big failure of this sort of project for that to happen. So we'll see. So that sounds like I'm rooting for someone to fail now. and I'm not, but... I really hope that people don't think, especially if you enjoyed the episode, I really don't want people to think that we're just hating on it for the sake of it. You know, it's it's all in good fun and we just have what we feel legitimate gripes with it. But, you know, it's not put us off the show or anything. And, you know, we still love Star Wars. It's just... I, I just don't feel comfortable with this kind of fixation right now on like deep faking and de-aging. Yeah. It just seems macabre to me. I just don't, don't, I don't think it's in the best taste. Yeah, no, and I would agree with that. I, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really not about the Mandalorian in itself. It's about what it might mean, you know, and the potential implications of the route I can see them going down, you know, so if I sound like nervous or like I have reservations at all, that's why it's not because of the show itself, because I, I do really enjoy the show itself on a general level. It's usually just because I'm just like getting vibes. That's the best way to put it. I'm getting vibes mm-hmm. and they don't always like make me feel super comfortable with what they're doing. But again, I might be completely misjudging things. So time will tell what directions they're taking in a bigger way and we'll find out. Mm hmm. So right, let's get on to the best version of Star Wars, which is Lego Star Wars. Um, so we have had the first trailer released for Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales. Um, and it's a pretty cool trailer. Um, and we also got a description of what the special will look like. Could you read out the description I've included here, Kirsty? The special from Lucasfilm and the Lego group follows Darth Vader's loyal servant, Van A, played by Tony Hale, as he tells three frightening Sith stories. The Lost Boy, the story of how a young Ben Solo first meets Ren, The Dueling Monstrosities, which imagines how Darth Maul and General Grievous were reborn, and The Wookiee's Paw, which gives a look at what might have been if all of Luke Skywalker's greatest wishes were immediately granted. <laughs> I just think this is magical. I love it so much. <laughs> 
and it's a very funny trailer too so obviously this doesn't like describe the trailer as such but yeah the trailer starts with um poe and bba and like like a sidekick just like a friend i don't know that character but there's like a kid or something who's also with them um and yeah they're just going into like vader's castle and it's like being turned into like a tacky amusement park (laughs) so (laughs) stupid but really funny (laughs) so yeah what were your um impressions of the trailer and are you excited for this special kirsty i am i'm really looking forward to this um i think i'm gonna watch the christmas special that they did again as well oh yeah just, i just find lego star wars so endearing same um it's a bit and... like of my happy star wars place right now i know it sounds weird but it just does genuinely yeah. bring me unfiltered happiness when i watch it which is... yeah it's fun and silly and people aren't worrying about what's canon and what's not obviously this ben solo story is kind of going to be pulling from that comic series but presumably it's a different spin on it because why would you do the same thing twice yes um yeah i'm looking forward to obviously it won't be adam driver as young ben solo but it'll be christian slater as ren and that's a treat yeah no it's gonna be really cool um and yeah like it was really nice to see how prominent ben was in the trailer because we knew that ren was going to be in it and i guess thinking logically it's pretty obvious that if ren were in it then ben would be in it too i honestly hadn't thought of that i just thought it'd be about the knights of ren like maybe even before Ben had met them. Oh, nice. So it was like a pleasant surprise for you then. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't expect to see him. Yeah. No, I, I, I kind of suspected we'd see him, but maybe just like a cameo or something. Whereas it seems like he's perhaps the main character in that segment, which, yeah, it's so cool. So I love seeing little Ben, even when he's a Lego figure. <laughs> yeah. I'll take what I can get. Um, and yeah, I'm just very curious to see what it, where it's going to go with that story because obviously it's inspired by what happens in the comic book, but it also seems distinctly different from how things go down in the comic book, which is fine because canon is like a non-issue with the Lego stuff, which is part of what makes the Lego stuff so great. Um, but yeah, I'm just very curious to see what sort of story they're going to tell. Yeah, it, it'll be fun. I think the, the fandom will have fun with it. Exactly. Um and in terms of like Luke wishing for things, I, I'm just trying to think what Luke wants. I guess like in the original stalls, he really wants to go to like that Imperial Academy, doesn't he? Yeah, he wants to join the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully that's one of his wishes then, because that would genuinely be interesting to see what happens if that wish were fulfilled. Because <laughs> presumably that would bring him into contact with um, Space Daddy much faster. So mm. yeah, I'd like to see that. Actually, I feel like we might see that in the trailer. Like, I need to watch the trailer again. But I feel like we might see Luke, you know, in the, like, Imperial, like, flight suit. Um, I think that's, yeah, that was kind of the impression I got, but it it does move so fast. Yeah, exactly. We need to do, like, a scene-by-scene trailer breakdown like (laughs) we did in the olden days, Kirsty. It won't be long before we have the full thing, so... That is true. There's so much stuff coming up. We've got Visions as well, haven't we? Yes, no, that's right. Visions must be really soon now, like, in the next few weeks, I think. I've seen some critics have started getting screeners, um, and, yeah, apparently there's going to be, like, two and a half hours of content, basically, and I hate that word, content, if also <laughs> clinical. <laughs> but it's, like, the best way to describe it, you know, when it's a bunch of different shorts, and, like, how do you describe them as a collective um yeah but anthology anthology that's right that's a much more um sophisticated sounding term <laughs> that lends artistic merit to the proceedings so yeah uh, the <laughs> anthology is going to be approximately two and a half hours long um yes and that's quite a good sign because yeah that's a lot of anime a lot of Star Wars anime so i'm excited for that 
Um, okay, right. <laughs> and then we just very quickly also want to acknowledge that Star Wars The Knights of the Old Republic is getting a remake. Um, so yeah, there's lots of information on this. You know, there's quotes from the game developers and information on who's making it exactly, but we don't really do game stuff on this podcast, so <laughs> we're not going to go into all of that, basically. Um, but there were rumours about this a few months back, right? I'm not just imagining that. I feel like there might have been, but I'm so kind of tuned out from Star Wars game news that if there were, like, they only registered on the barest periphery of my memory. Yeah. I guess it's also sometimes hard to distinguish between what's genuine rumour and what's just, like, fans hoping for something. Sure. Because obviously... I mean, the reaction to this shows it's been in demand. People feel very strongly about KOTOR and are very excited about this. So that's great. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, So, yeah, like, I'm really glad that it's going to be remade um, because it's the sort of thing where it's such a legendary game and it's clearly a very integral part of the Star Wars mythos. But, you know, obviously it is a really old game as well now and... I don't know, but I find for me that if I tried to go back to a game that's past a certain age, you know, the graphics are obviously very much of their time, I find it very hard to get into, you know, and that may well be me not being fair to the game, you know, so I'm sure it's a really incredible game still in terms of the mechanics and how it operates and stuff. But yeah, for me to like have a good time and really get immersed, I need like a more modern standard of graphics I guess so I'm not 100% saying I will get a PlayStation 5 so I can play this but suffice to say it's a possibility so yeah I might play this and if I do people will hear back on my thoughts I'll watch the cutscenes yes exactly because (laughs) they will all be put up on YouTube in their full glory Um, and also because I need to mention Raylo at least once per episode Hopefully, this means obviously like Revan and Bastilla is a very famous fang from this game originally in the like Legends canon, I suppose now. Um, and yeah, I really want Revan and Bastilla to become recanonized so then they can like really drive home all those Raylo parallels because obviously the fans have been doing that since 2015. But I want it to be done officially too because I, I'm the sad person who needs validation. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say the the thing that I'm most excited about with this is that there's going to be a whole new revitalized fandom around it. Yes. So, you know, we'll get these characters with fan art and fanfic again, which is really exciting. Obviously, it's there to some extent already. They're very famous, beloved characters, but it'll be even more so. Yep, 100%. Um, okay, and then the last thing that we wanted to talk about was an interview that Tandyway Newton gave with Inverse, where she spoke about what happened to her character Val in Solo, basically. Um, and yeah, I thought it was really important to bring this up because I remember when we spoke about Solo, it was something that really rubbed us the wrong way. But obviously at the time, Tandyway wasn't in a position to like talk openly about her feelings about what had happened. Um, yeah. And yes, it's interesting to see her revisit it now a few years on. Could you read out what she said, Kirsty, from Inverse? Mm-hmm. I felt disappointed by Star Wars that my character was killed. And actually, in the script, she wasn't killed. It happened during filming. And it was much more just to do with the time we had to do the scenes. It's much easier just to have me die than it is to have me fall into a vacuum of space so I can come back sometime. That's what it originally was, but the explosion and she falls out and you don't know where she's gone, so I could have come back at some point. But when we came to filming, as far as I was concerned and was aware, when it came to filming that scene, it was too huge a set piece to create, so they just had me blow up and I'm done. 
But I remembered at the time thinking, this is a big, big mistake. Not because of me, not because I wanted to come back. You don't kill off the first black woman to ever have a real role in a Star Wars movie. Like, are you fucking joking? Yeah. And just huge respect to her for just coming out and saying it straight as it is. Because, mm. yeah, it's just completely not okay. And it's like everyone is aware of how troubled the production solo was. And I can 100% see like the behind the scenes reasons for why this ended up happening. But just don't do it. Just find another way. You know, there are always options other than kill the character. You know, just add a line and say like, oh, she had to go off and do like a run somewhere, you know, on a mission. I don't know. I don't care. But yeah, as Tandy Ray says, just do not kill her. Yeah. I think it's especially stings when you think about all the characters in Star Wars who seem to have died and then haven't. Yes. And like it is mostly male characters that that happens to. Yep. And often it's characters that a predominantly male side of the fandom have strong feelings about as well. So it just seems like certain characters are valued over others. And I really wish that they had just been far more considerate in this instance. You know, you should recognise the gravity and importance of having the first female black lead in Star Wars and have that in mind as you write and evolve the story. Like, it just seems to be this weird incidental thing. And it's frustrating then when these concerns are brought to the creators. Because I think, you know, I I remember bringing this up on Twitter sometime and, and John Kasdan seeing it and it just being this kind of dismissive thing where it was like, oh, that's just where the story went. You know, and it's like, can you not understand why this would be upsetting to people? And it's it's just like not really considering the importance of who you've cast in this role, how you've written them, and then how you dispose of them. And that's what they did. Yeah. Um, and I understand why people are like, oh, well, it makes sense for the story and Beckett needs it for this and that. But they are still choices, you know? Yeah. Um, and I and it's been a little while since I watched Solo. I actually want to watch it again, but I remember one of my impressions being that the loss of Val and like the little monkey-like guy <laughs> whose name I can't remember right now, um, the loss of those characters. They had been part of this like really tight-knit team with Beckett, but I felt like after they'd gone and you know dropped out of the story, I felt like they were completely inconsequential. You know, they're like deaths were almost meaningless. I think maybe there's like a line or two about it, you know, past that point. But it all felt so perfunctory. And of course that makes sense if, you know, Val was never meant to die in the first place because it wasn't written with that having any particular ramifications in mind, you know. And I think that further underlines the point that Tandy Way is making here because you you kill her and then it's meaningless you know it's not even for like a worthwhile like narrative reason and uh, it's just yeah it's just bullshit it is tricky because i i feel that it's some ambiguity in the story and in woody harrelson's performance where you could look at it from one perspective and see how the character kind of hardens after this happens and mm. goes forward and does end up betraying han and everyone you know but you can just as easily gloss over that and in as you say there's not a ton of you know the the way he reacts afterwards it's he's angry at han for making rash decisions with the bounty and now they're in trouble because they owe dryden vass all of this stuff you know it's not necessarily 
his grief for Val, or maybe he's in some form of denial and can't face it at that point. It's not super clear. Yeah. But I, I definitely see it from your perspective that you could just as easily be like, okay, so Val is just not mentioned for the rest of the film. Like that's pretty disrespectful. Yeah. And I, and I think it just jarred especially because they did a really nice job of establishing that like relationship with her and Beckett. You know, and yeah. obviously they don't. It's not dwelled on hugely, but it's just such nice like chemistry between the actors, and you get a sense of this real closeness between them. And then when that's like ripped away, I felt like it should have meant more than it did. And yeah, but re- really, she just shouldn't have died in the first place. But oh, yeah, yeah. oh, it's just very frustrating. It, it does remind me though that I do want to watch Solo again. Like I was watching interviews with Tandy Way just to like prepare for this. And I, I don't think I sent it to you, Kirsty, but I found one where what the interviewer brought up Solo with her, and she was so enthusiastic about it, and she's like, "Oh, yeah, it's a great movie," you know. So she's angry, obviously, that her character was just like dismissed from that film in such a callous way, but she still like thinks it's good as a film, you know, and enjoys it as a film. And I just think that must be like it must just be such a bummer, you know, like when it's a film where you can recognise it's well made and enjoyable and fun but you're really dissatisfied of how your part in that film was handled. So, mm. yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. And I think it, it it's extra disappointing when it's it, it's clear from how she's talking about this that it's not about her own personal disappointment. It's that she knew how important this situation was yes. and didn't feel like it was approached in the best way. And that, you know, that lets down a lot of fans as well. Yeah. No, 100%. Um yeah justice for val <laughs> i don't really know how like that character could be made up to at this point but yeah i just wish it they be... could definitely do an earlier story about val yeah no that's true and i'd love something like that so really i just wish it'd been served better in the film but since the window's gone for that like i really hope they could use tandy way in another way at some point so yes um let's move on and talk about our main topic although we'll probably keep it shorter than most of our spotlight discussions which is about the tempest runner audio drama which is part of the ongoing high republic publishing initiative um could you read the publisher's summary of this audio drama please kirsty mm-hmm. in this star wars audio original delve into the cutthroat world of one of the high republic's greatest foes the merciless lorna d the Nihil Storm has raged through the galaxy, leaving chaos and grief in its wake. Few of its raiders are as vicious as the Tempest Runner Lorna D. She stays one step ahead of the Jedi Order at the helm of a vessel named after one of the deadliest monsters in the galaxy, the Lorna D. But no one can outrun the defenders of the High Republic forever. After the defeat of her crew, Lorna falls into the hands of the Jedi, but not before she hides her identity, becoming just another Nihil convict. Her captors fail to understand the beast they have cornered. Just like every fool she's ever buried, their first mistake was keeping her alive. Lorna is determined to make underestimating her their last. Locked onto a Republic correctional ship, she's dragged across the galaxy to repair the very damage she and her fellow Tempest Runners inflicted on it. But as Lorna plans her glorious escape, she makes alliances that grow dangerously close to friendships. Outside the Nihil, separated from her infamous ship, her terrifying arsenal and her feared name, Lorna must carve her own path. But would it lead to redemption? Or will she emerge as a deadlier threat than ever before? Dun dun dun. <laughs> Shall I tell you one of the most exciting things about this for me, Kirsty? Go on. I have validation that I can say Martian rather than Marky. Yeah! I was pleased. This, 
Yeah, it's just funny when there's like this debate going on about pronunciation and like one of the authors is like, no, it's Markion. And then I already knew at that point that like the the audiobooks, even for Light of the Jedi, had been saying Martian, so it's like, it doesn't seem to matter at all. <laughs> it's the new Han and Han. <laughs> yeah. Leia, Leia. Oh my gosh, Star Wars is so... It's just like poetry, it rhymes. Um, but yeah, no, so just to share my general thoughts on this, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a well-done audio drama. Like, all of these productions they've put out, because they've also done the Doctor Aphra one and Jedi Lost about Count Dooku. Um, and I think they've all had amazing production value. Um, they're very like immersive, and really they feel they're not audiobooks, you know, and they're public publicised as as such. Um, they're really like full cast radio dramas, basically. I'm just not mm. on the radio. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like I enjoyed it, and it's interesting because I think we've repeatedly brought up that with the High Republic books, one of the main issues for us has been the fact they have this immense scope. And that can make it very hard to like invest in individual characters and understand what individuals are really coming from. And I think one of the main ways in which this audio drama added value was by going really deep with just one character and very firmly focusing on her experience of events. Um, because yeah, like from the books, I did enjoy Lorna, but I really didn't have much of a handle on where she came from, what was driving her, you know, what her hang-ups were, like, why are you doing this? Like, why on earth would you be with these people? <laughs> you know, and this audio drama definitely addressed those questions for me and I felt like I had a much better handle on her after listening. So yeah, I'd say if you have enjoyed the High Republic books and you're interested in these characters, this is a must-listen, basically, because yeah, it really does expand on the world and the character of Lorna in particular. Yeah, I found it really enjoyable. I have enjoyed all of these audio dramas, actually, and obviously this one was written by Kevin Scott, who also wrote the Dooku one, Jedi Lost. Yeah. Um, loved that one. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, and like you say, it's nice to focus on a single character after those two big novels that just introduced this huge world with so many characters and so much stuff going on. There is still a lot of action in the story, and sometimes I did find that quite hard to follow, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Um and to be honest, I was really looking forward to having a focus on a singular character and kind of getting a deeper arc. It didn't go as deep with an arc as I kind of hoped it would. Sure. Um, I still don't feel like I know Lorna that well beyond the surface. Like, okay, they're doing, you know, an anti-villain kind of venturous thing where we do sympathize with her to an extent. But for me so far, and obviously it's early days, like we have her in the books and then this audio drama and... I'm guessing Lorna turns up in some of the comics, but I'm not following those. Um, it, it still feels too early for me to really feel like I have a true grasp on the character, unless this is kind of just the extent of what they're doing with her, which is, you know, she's been shaped by all these terrible things happening to her, but there's still not too much going on beneath the surface in terms of, like, her conflict. Yeah. It seems like she's kind of just hardened against the world because of how... She, she's been treated and kind of underestimated by people throughout her life um, so there wasn't like the depth that you get with someone like Kira in Solo or even Venturous across the Clone Wars. Yeah, no and I think that's a really fair point. They do obviously give Lorna a lot of backstory in this but like I, I would agree with the criticism that it's not a particularly like revelatory backstory you know, like you do understand her more but it doesn't feel like hugely deep or nuanced is basically the fact that 
she's been betrayed repeatedly in her life and as you said Kirsty underestimated and she's really like hurt by the world and that's contributed to why she's gone into this life of crime you know and is doing these bad things um and then obviously she has like a choice at the end of the drama where it's like well who do I align myself with now and I I haven't quite been able to listen to the very end of it again my impression of what happens in the end is that she basically sets her up sets herself up separately with her own warband that's separate from the Nihil but is that what you got from it too, Kirsty? I just want to check I understood. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think so. But again, I was honestly finding it hard to follow some things. I am getting better with audiobooks. Yeah. But I think because there was like the mixed chronology as well, I wasn't entirely sure what was past and present. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. same, hard same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So yeah, like, especially because even in the flashbacks, a lot of the characters were the same, like with Martian and Asgar and Panata and stuff. It was just like, I wasn't always... Sure. Sure. It was a bit confusing. Um, But yeah, there were some interesting kind of developments with the other characters that I wasn't expecting to see here, like with Martian kind of understanding more, um, like the the performance of that character surprised me. He was quite softer and gentler, but I guess that was partly the point that the other characters had been underestimating him and thought that once Asgard was out of the way, they'd be able to manipulate him much easier, and that wasn't the case. Yeah. No, same. Um, that was definitely one of the biggest surprises and the most fascinating parts of it to me. Um, because, yeah, like, Martian, like, sounded like a creepy theatre kid or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I kind of mean that as, like, a weird, like, backhanded compliment, to be honest, because it definitely made him feel more distinctive I think than he sounded in my own mind you know yeah like it was a very like unusual vibe for a Star Wars villain let's put it that way um because yeah you do have that like element in the book you know where he's being underestimated by everyone and then he surprises everyone by kind of coming out with no coming out of nowhere and having all these plans and ambitions for what he's going to do with the Nihil um (laughs) there we go again I'm pronouncing it differently um (laughs) But yeah, like it was just a, a really interesting choice, and I'm glad the actor took it that way because my ears pricked up every time he spoke. Basically, I was like, "Oh, I'm interested by you." Yeah, it was just funny the way he's presented. Like he's trying to be cautious, and the, the Nile are like, you know, they're a hot mess. They're completely chaos, and it's com- contradictory. And that's what's kind of interesting about them that they seem to have all of these rules and hierarchies and. And, and that that leads to betrayal and chaos because they're all like, well, no, I work for myself and I answer to no one. And that's actually not how it works. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it, I, I have to think it's like a, it just reminds me a lot of like the chaos of something like Mad Max, you know, that they're, it's just like this swarm of we're in it for ourselves, but we're supposed to be a community and it just does not work. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like, that's just the vibe I get. Yeah. yeah, it's just completely non-functional when your community is formed completely of people who are looking out for their own interests. So. Yeah. yeah, so it's just funny to like kind of hear Martian saying like, oh, well, watch out for this and be careful with that. And his dad's like, oh, shut up. You're such a wet blanket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I do, like, again, this is completely tangential to the events of this audio drama because it's nothing to do with it. But, and I know Star Wars is always guilty of doing this, but I'm just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what happened to Martian's mum? You know, where is she? Oh, yeah, who cares? He he doesn't have a mum. He just sprang out of the ground. 
he... I, I don't expect Star Wars to ever change in that regard. Like, they've had multiple chances. They don't care. But yeah, no, so that's a s- silly, pointless, futile question I had in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, one interesting element of this audio drama that struck me um, was there's a sequence where Lorna's been captured by slavers, basically, when she's, I think she's probably still a teenager, um, and she's freed by the Jedi. Um, mm. And they basically sent her off to like boot camp <laughs> to join the military. And yeah. I felt that whole sequence, and, and again, I might just be placing too much of my own read on the situation, but it came across to me as this really damning critique of the Jedi and their like approach to like individuals. You know, yeah. because Lorna is there and be like, no, I really don't want to do this, actually. It does not appeal. Do not want to be here. Thank you. And the Jedi are like, oh, it will be good for you. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. nope, nope, it won't. And yeah, it's like, guys, you, you need to listen. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, I thought that was an interesting choice because I, that's one of the most interesting parts of the High Republic to me. The fact that, that, that they're pretty Jedi negative, really, from a certain point of view. And I'm glad to see Star Wars like, go in there. Yeah, it might be the case that individual Jedi are good people, but the choices that they make as a collective and what they value is sometimes just presented as... And again, it's like our reading. It might not necessarily be the reading, but it seems kind of messed up. And I do think that ends up shaping Lorna in a big way for the future. Because, yeah, the way she's treated is just horrible. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think like one of the best parts about it, like by the end, is I was like... Yeah, girl, I understand what you're doing, what you're doing. You do you. (laughs) I mean, she's a ridiculous character. She's completely over the top and wild and impulsive. (laughs) You know, every time she, like, gets into a situation, I'm just like, what is this? (laughs) Um, The performance was relentless in its energy. I thought the actor did an incredible job. Um, But, yeah, the character is just so exaggerated and over the top. It's definitely not, like, you know, way more than even adventurous ever is you know so it's it's definitely like stylized in a way that you can relate to her on one level but not not fully as you know like one of the more human distinct characters in in the movies yeah you know it is more more cartoonish yeah no 100 percent. like um although on that note i must um give particular praise to the actor who performed lorna in the drama, and I think you felt the same, Kirsty. I think her name's Jessica Almasy, so I hope I'm saying that right. Um, she was great. And yeah, she was a real standout. I think she gave one of the best performances I've heard in any of these Star Wars audio dramas, to be honest. She's probably my favourite lead performance of the bunch. You know, so obviously you've had Afra and Count Dooku as well, and they're both really good in their respective audio dramas. But I just feel like Jessica like really brought a lot of like depth and flavor to that performance so yeah massive kudos to her yeah i think a lot of the depth that we got from lorna was due more to the performance than the story itself yeah again that's just my my reading but yeah i thought she was fantastic and she kept me listening yeah and that's definitely one of the advantages of the medium because yeah like it can like if it were just like words on a page you know so they do often publish these audio dramas as books i just can't imagine enjoying that you know just like reading the script of this thing <laughs> but yeah because the actors all did a good job it really did bring it to life so yeah please listen to it rather than read it some of the other voices did start to take me out of it like there were some minor characters there was one who sounded exactly like smeagol from lord of the rings like to the point where it just sounded like an impression Maybe I'm the only one who thinks that, but if anyone else noticed it, let me know. Who looked like? Who sounded like Smeagol? Sorry. 
yeah one of the minor characters he might have just been like another Niall oh okay I wasn't really, right yeah, yeah. I wasn't really connecting the dots but he just sounded like Gollum <laughs> um, and, and there was another Jedi character who just sounded like they were doing a David Attenborough impression <laughs> <laughs> there was some one like female performance like it's by someone doing like the administrator for starlight beacon and she just sounded so pretty <laughs> i found it hilarious every time she spoke and at first i thought it was ava chris because i was getting confused between characters um and i was like oh my god if ava sounds like this i just can't you know i can't take that oh, character seriously yeah was it the person who introduced Ava, maybe? Yes, it was. it was. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah. Ava herself. Like, I, Although I feel like it was maybe the same actress who did the voice for both the administrator and Ava. Like, okay. because some people did multiple roles, you know? Um, because they did sound a bit similar, but still different, you know? So the administrator was just so annoying. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to, like, punch her. Um, and I don't mean the actual person performing the role, just to be clear. I mean the character. And the character was written to be a bit obnoxious, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh- the other person I found it hard to follow sometimes was, was Pan. Mm. That The style of that voice was just like, oh, there was obviously an effect to it where I was like, sometimes it was hard for me to make out the actual words that he was saying. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it was distinctive. I, I got a feel for the character. Yeah. I think you always knew when it was Pan, which is a good <laughs> sign because, again, like I, I really enjoy this medium. I think it's an interesting way to tell stories. But yeah, one of the downsides is sometimes that like smaller characters, the voices can like get mixed up and it's hard to know who's who. And yeah, that didn't happen in this case. Yeah, I think for Aphra's one, it worked well because it was mostly Aphra herself telling the story, obviously. Um, and then you'd get like, a, you know, droids or other characters who were, you know, you had recognisable ones and they'd done a good job of like Luke and Han in the background and stuff. Um, and then I, I think Jedi Lost it, it, ha- it had a narrator it was told third person mostly and then i don't know it, it they've ju- they've all felt quite different which i've appreciated you know you're going in with a different experience for better or worse yeah no exactly um so i hope they continue the series i'm not sure what they're going to do next but you know i'll listen to them i enjoy them yeah no definitely um and yeah i'm curious about which characters they'd pick if they do more high republic ones like one High Republic character I'd like to see get an audio drama like this is Ty Yorick, for example. So I think that mm. character is perfectly suited to an audio drama, especially because up to this point they've always had like a past and future combined thing. And with Ty Yorick from The Rising Storm, like there's a lot of mystery around that character's background, you know, in terms of like why she left the Jedi Order. So it's clear there was some incident and something went wrong, but we don't know what that is. And since then she's become like this mercenary and like saber for hire i suppose in the present um and yeah i feel like that could be a really interesting format to tell her story so yeah hopefully we get that but we will see um oh yeah i know last time we were talking about the rising storm you said you hoped that she would show up again she she was a minor character in race to crash point tower okay the middle grade novel by daniel jose older okay like is it is a spoiler if you tell me what she does in that well, she's just aiding the main characters on their mission. Okay, and, so she's like uh, on the heroic side of it, things. It kind of intersects with when they're in the prison. Right. Um, her and, oh, I can't remember the name of the character who she's traveling with, the mum. Yeah, like as as Starlight Beacon is being, what's, what's the name of the planet they're on? It's as it's being attacked and then they manage to escape. Right. Um, yeah, I, it, 
I enjoyed that book. I mean, I, I'm enjoying the middle grade High Republic books because they're just so quick to get through. You can get through them in an hour or two, and it's just like a nice accompaniment to the main novels. Nice, yeah, yeah. Um, a bit less dense. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, no, I still need to read that. I'll have to um, see if they have it with my library. So yeah, I'll check that out. Um, but yeah, no, that's great. I feel like that's probably all the main points wrapped up for today. Um, do you have anything else you want to add, Kirsty? I don't think so. Is this like the last of the High Republic stuff we're going to get for a while? Like until the next push comes with Claudia's novel and stuff? Yes, I think, think so. I like. I presume there's comics in between, but yeah, as you said, yeah. we're not following those. Um, so yeah, I think the next big publishing event will be The Fallen Star, which I, I, honestly is going to come around quite quickly. So I think it's January next year. Um, so yeah, I'll be here before we know it. But yeah, we well, we've got the the Ronin novel coming out soon, haven't we? Yes, that'll be something different. No, that's true. And yeah, I'm interested to see that. So that should be really refreshing in terms of a completely different setting and context. So yeah, that will be a good one. Mm-hmm. Lots to look forward to. Exactly. Okay, so let's round it out. I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye!